to Fierce, Fun, Feminine, and Other F-Words. I'm Christine Elizabeth, and I help women unstuck themselves. Today's F-Word is family. The people in our life that we don't get to choose. (laughs) Family and the word family and the thought of family elicits a lot of different emotions for all of us. And that's what I want to talk about today. Let's get started. At the time of this recording, it's 2021. In the USA, there are 83.7 million families. Family is defined as 3.15 people. (laughs) I know those things are always a little weird. Or the census, they define it as two or more family members living in one household. And now since 2015, same-sex marriages are recognized as families. They didn't used to be. Now they are, and that number includes them. Of the 83.7 million families in the United States, 50 million of them do not have children under 18. Did you get that? 50 million families do not have children under 18. That's a lot. It's interesting. There's a steady decline in birth rate in the United States. In the 60s and 70s, a woman had an average of 2.5 babies. In 2020, that number is down to 1.9. African countries have the highest birth rate in the world. There is no decline in birth rate in Africa. This decline in birth rate is the United States. Okay, so those are trivia stats, but that's not really what my topic is today. My topic is your family. How is your family? It's a touchy subject. I know people who were foster kids and never knew their biological parents. They were bounced from house to house. They can't relate to what it means to have um, motherly love that's truly their mom. They grew up with a mom, but maybe that mom changed. Then their view of family is 180 degrees different than like where I grew up, where there was a strong Italian influence on the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey and or European, I should say, in general, where every adult kid went home for Sunday dinner or else they had to deal with mom. Like everybody descends on the home front. They go to the home where they grew up because mom still lives there. She makes Sunday dinner. It's the whole shebang. It's huge. Those families, for the most part, stay together. My family... Eh, how would I describe us? We were dysfunctionally functional. All hell could break loose between my parents, but no matter what, family came first. We had each other's backs. I don't know if you can relate to that. So I would say every family could probably call themselves dysfunctional. Isn't isn't that right? Like, what's normal? Is there a normal? I don't think that anything that's portrayed in the media is normal. (laughs) I think it's just what's normal for you. Uh, But we don't get to choose our family. And that's where it gets hard, right? Like, Every extended family that gets together for holidays has that one relative that they can tell stories about, but they're very happy they don't have to go home with them. They don't live with them. Can you relate to that? Like, was it your dad? Maybe an uncle? And you don't get to decide. They could be a completely embarrassing human or have zero attributes of anything you want to be affiliated with, but they're your family. You didn't pick them. I know someone who has an uncle who overindulges in alcohol at every party. So drunk at Christmas time, Thanksgiving, anytime this relative shows up, he's so drunk, he's flat out on the floor, passes out drunk, right? So there's that one. Um, my dad was kind of a rebel rouser. He was the party person that wanted to get everybody going and he was the connector. He was also heavy drinker, but he could 
go to the point where he had no filter and he said things that were inappropriate. They were just not cool to say where I would be like, oh, dear Lord, I hope nobody knows he's my dad. (laughs) Maybe it's your mom, your sister. Who knows? We all have one person and maybe you don't live with them, but we don't get to choose them. We were born into this group of people we have. And you know, what's really interesting is just recently, I know just, I didn't do this recently. I submitted my DNA to ancestry.com. I did that whole DNA profile thing. And it's been really fun to be able to kind of see all the countries, you know, what I, I was raised to believe I was a certain way from certain nationality. And it keeps changing because the more DNA matches you have, they say, oh, you have relatives in this country. Anyway, now what happened in the last four weeks, is this young girl reached out to me and she matched very high in my DNA profile. And I noticed she popped on and I was like, well, who's this person? Never heard of her before. First cousin. I've never heard of her before. And so she said, you know, I don't know if you can um, submit your DNA to this other site, but you can take your link off of Ancestry, upload it to other DNA sites. And she said, I have a feeling that your dad is my dad's dad too. So I'm like, "Uh, it could have been, who knows? I have no idea. Well, sure enough, a few weeks later, the results come back and I have a half brother didn't know about. Now, my father passed away in 2017. It was known that he was a wild child back in the day, uh, even before he met my mom. And I reached out to her and I said, well, the results came back and it looks like you're my niece, half niece. (laughs) She said, looks like I have an aunt and I have this instant family that I didn't know existed. My father's gone, so I can't talk to him about it. My mother this would have happened before this this child was born. This half-brother of mine was born when my dad started dating my mom. So it was, he was conceived before my mom knew my father. Anyway, long story short, I kind of did a little detective work and found this man that's my half-brother on social media. I have to tell you, he's not someone I would want to be affiliated with as family. I don't get to choose it. He is half brother. Now he doesn't know. I don't think his daughter has actually told him yet because he was raised by someone else. So he, I don't think that he even knows he has extended family. But when I started looking at his social media profiles, which were public, this man is border. It's not borderline. It is. There's vulgarity. I can't believe it's even allowed to be posted on social media. It's something that you would, you, as an adult woman, I want to cover my eyes, my ears. I'm like, what? Ooh, gross. Like, no, <laughs> not the way I am, right? It's just not comfortable for me to be around that type of person who has no filter to the point of, um, it's just disgusting. Let's just put it that way. It, it, but this is my family. Like if he reached out to me, I would have to say, yep, that's my dad. Hello, half brother. (laughs) I didn't pick you, but you're in my family. (laughs) You know, there's another story about this DNA stuff that's interesting. A client of mine, she's an attorney. He's an attorney. He did his DNA and their daughter is an attorney. They have very successful family. Um, And the, I don't know what their other kids do, but they're all educated in professional white collar careers. And this, this husband did his DNA test, came back. He has a son that he didn't know about before my clients, the female, before my client met him. So, you know, you kind of have to be careful with these things because if you mess around, your DNA is going to catch you. (laughs) But 
This child that found him, this child he never knew he had, found him, grew up in a family of hard knocks. Like his mother was in the projects and was murdered. A drug deal gone bad. And his life was not education and one of being more fortunate. He grew up very less fortunate. And he wants to come stay with this family, this new father he never knew he had. He's almost 30. And this this woman, the, the wife is like, I don't know what to do about this. Like we raised our kids. Their kids are adults. They're in, they're 30 and older and they're practicing whatever profession they're in. And she said, this is a real interesting predicament. Like he has a legitimate, true son that he didn't know about. I didn't get to choose this. He did this before we were married. And this kid is now feeling like he didn't get the benefits of being in his family. He was raised differently. He had a different he had a whole different experience and his experience of family is not what their biological kids they had together experienced. So family can really get convoluted. I mean, we just, it gets hard. I think that boundaries need to definitely be put in place. If you have family members that are those kind of uncomfortable people, or, you know, maybe you have a mom that always wants to talk about your relationship When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to make me a grandmom? Or if you have a mom that always wants to talk about your body, or if you have a father that um, maybe has inappropriate comments to you about your shape or your weight, you need to set boundaries. Those are okay. I don't care how old you are. I don't care. I mean, obviously, if you're a child, you're not listening to this podcast, but if you're an adult, you're 18 and older, you have the right to be able to say, That's not a conversation I would like to have right now, or thank you for having an interest in that, but I really don't want to talk about this right now. If you have, I don't know, maybe you have family that wants to watch your kids and they have behaviors or practices or addictions that you are not comfortable with your children being around, you have the right to set a boundary to say no and to feel very comfortable in that boundary. So boundaries are really, really important around family as much as they are important around friendships. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss. They feel like family family feels like they have a right to mistreat us. And they don't. They don't. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You don't have a right. These are the people that are supposed to have your back no matter what. We want to treat those people extra wonderful. Now, if you come from a family that's not like that, then you don't have to worry about it because you have a completely different experience. There are benefits of growing up in a loving family. And I'm wondering if we're facing a time where we're starting to see a decline in respect for other people and morality in the United States, because the idea of family is not what it used to be. I mean, family has changed. It used to be mom, dad, and 2.5 kids, the picket fence, the whole thing. That was what was portrayed on television. That family went to church, that family prayed, that family, you know, they did family things together. It was this um, typical all-white family. I will say it was always Caucasian if it was portrayed in the media, but that's what it looked like, right? Family is not that anymore. You don't have to be married to be considered family. You can be two people that are partners that adopt a child and you're a family. The census will count you as a family. What is the experience of that child that that they're going to get from that 
relationship, right? Of you that are your partner and you adopting them. What is your family dynamic? It's different. It's really different. And this is what I want to talk about a little bit. So there was, in 1995, there was a review of empirical literature. What that means is all this data that's out there, you can do a review of the literature of any topic in the world, in the medical world, or statistically about criminals. And that's what this was about. There was a study of the literature in 1995 on criminal behavior. It was presented to Congress. Uh, This was 26 years ago at the time of this recording, just so you know. This is what they found. Over the last 30 years, the rise in violent crime paralleled the rise in absent fathers in the home. So back in the day, people didn't get divorced. It was harder to be divorced. Women didn't even have the right to file for divorce. When that became law, women finally, you know, wised up and (laughs) they got out of relationships they shouldn't have been in. But for the most part, you had a mother, a father in the home raising children. And they noticed the rise in violent crime paralleled the rise in absentee fathers. High crime neighborhoods are usually full of single parents, most often only the mom. This is, again, the review of the literature. When they went back and looked at criminals, they researched for 30 years. They researched what that criminal came out of because they wanted to try to find a way to change criminal behavior. Future criminals, little people, they were often rejected by other kids in first grade as early as first grade, and when they were rejected, they formed their own circle of people, and this study found that that circle became delinquents. Now, these are United States government statistics. That's stuff that they have found for United States criminals. Family structure does make an impact. It matters. It really does. So that speaks to the women who choose to stay married for their kids, I know someone on a personal level who cannot stand her husband. Her children are elementary school age. She doesn't like him because he's not faithful. And she said, you know, I'm going to just, he knows how I feel about it, but I'm not leaving because of my kids. And we hear that a lot. And a lot of people right now in this whole be happy movement, chase your bliss movement, and I'm all about that. But there's this thing of, leave him on the sidewalk, say goodbye, pack your bags, you're out, you'll be better off. And you will be better off, right? You will probably be happier, you'll have less arguments, you'll feel better about yourself. But statistics show, in some instances, that these families that stay together are doing a a more of a benefit, it's providing more of a benefit for those children growing up than if the woman leaves. Now, we're not talking about physical violence or, and or domestic violence or any of that stuff. We're just talking about unhappy marriages, that they stay together to provide a family structure for the children. Because once we have kids, we relinquish some of our rights. That's just fact. You relinquish some of your, you have, you just relinquish your time. You relinquish some of your decisions that you would have had before children. Having children changes you. So there is something about structure that matters, but wait, what about this? Let's fast forward now. We're not talking about the perfect family structure. What about now, current times with all these school shootings? In the United States, by the way, this is a wealthy country problem. We don't have school shootings anywhere else. This is a wealthy country problem. Columbine happened in 1999. School shootings are rare. If you you compare them to daily gun violence, they're rare. But they're on the rise. And they're usually done by students. 
and guess what that family looks like for those students. Ready? 69% of school shooters are from Caucasian families, and two-thirds of those shooters come from two-parent homes. Wait, what? (laughs) So we already know that criminal activity on the daily, like the regular criminals that are gang violence and all of that stuff, that's coming out of broken homes. But now we have this, and they're coming from two-parent homes? 41% of school attackers were solid students earning A's and B's in school. What the heck? What is that? What's going on there? This phenomenon needs to be studied more. I agree 100% guns should not be accessible to kids. I don't, disagree, I don't agree with taking guns away from humans. That's a, an amendment right in the United States. There have been guns as long as we have been breathing on this earth and we didn't go shooting up schools. This is something different. And they're also saying not all of these kids are on medication, not all of them that are going in shooting their peers, but they're coming from solid families, two-parent families. So we have a new kind of criminal coming up. What is that all about? I have not done a deep dive into that study, but I'm going to, su- I'm going to suggest something here. I come from an era where you were allowed to have a fight after school. <laughs> Did you grow up this way? Okay, so I was in high school in the 80s. So the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, you used to hear, we're going to meet behind the school. I'll meet you there. And there was like two people going at it. I don't agree with it. I, I understand bad things happened there, right? But a broken nose is a heck of a lot better than bullets around a cafeteria table. Kids had different outlets. You were allowed to call each other names back then. It wasn't called bullying. Now, I'm not a proponent of bullying, but I'm also not a proponent of kids not having an outlet to express their anger. And we have these homes (laughs) with different family scenarios and different types of things happening in the home where the kids are not, for some reason, finding a way to express themselves. And when they get to a point where they can't express themselves in a way that makes them satisfied, they're expressing themselves in different ways that are violent. I don't know what the answer is. I don't have an answer, but I do know one thing that's changed over the years is our bullying laws got really, really strict to the point of in private school that I experienced personally with my children and the school they went to. If you gave someone a dirty look, a dirty look, a glance, you were called to the principal's office. I mean, come on. That's a little extreme. We have to be able to express ourselves and learn how to disagree, learn how to have strong disagreements, learn how to live with people we don't like, because we don't have to like everybody. But we also have to learn to be able to express ourselves in a way that is safe, not hurting other people, and feel safe enough to say things. I don't know. I I could go off on a rant on this whole thing, but I think it is really interesting that the family structure on these school shootings is almost always coming out of a two-family, two-parent home. And our street violence is coming from broken homes. So how family structure plays into that is, is just beyond me. I think it all needs to be studied. But I do think family structure affects us personally. We're all women here, right? So did you have a healthy father figure? And we're going to move away from violence. We're going to personalize this now. 
Was your father someone that you were wouldn't wanted to emulate, that you loved how he treated your mom and you wanted to look for someone like that? Or did you have an unhealthy father figure? And if you did, how was your relationship with men growing up? How did you relate to them? Do you have father wounds? Right? That's something to think about. Was your mom super strict? Was she, you know, trying to make you have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted and you had to be prim and proper in a certain way and she was very super involved? Or was she an addict and didn't care about you? Or was she critical? Was she so unhappy in her own life she tried to make you her project? You have mother wounds. You do. (laughs) We all do. We all have stuff, right? But it's something to think about. Did you have siblings? And how was it with your siblings? Did your parents monitor you guys growing up or was it a free-for-all? Did you having a sibling, did it teach you how to share, disagree, coexist? How has all of that shaped you today? Because no matter what your scenario was growing up, it shaped you. How did it shape you? I grew up raised by my grandmother and my mother. So my parents were separated for 10 years legally separated. But in those 10 years, it was pretty contentious. I mean, he was in and out, but he wasn't supposed to be. It was a whole bad scene. (laughs) So my relationship and understanding of men, it was skewed because I did not have a father figure that felt safe. He had a drinking problem. Uh, There was domestic violence. There were restraining orders. I had a trust problem right? So I really wanted to gravitate toward families that felt peaceful because I didn't have that growing up. But instead of making it a negative for me, I had two strong women, broken, but strong women raise me. And this is what they said. Their mantra was to my sister and I, you will never, I don't know how we're going to do this, but you will never live in a way that you have to depend on a man. Take care of yourself. Be whole yourself. Be one whole person yourself because you can't count on a man to take care of you. Now, that turned into me not trusting them, you know, and I had to deal with that, you know, early on in my marriage and all of that. But they took a negative situation and turned it positive. They turned it positive to the point that I became successful. I became an achiever. It didn't help me in my relationships because I was still messed up with my trust issue. What was it for you? I'm wondering, what is going on in your life or what has happened in your life in the past maybe that you've had to overcome? Where are you right now? Your biggest struggle in a relationship, in friendships, because that could be how you related to your siblings, or in authority. Do you struggle with authority? Because that could be how you relate to your parents when you were growing up. Or maybe you didn't have any authority growing up and you really resent being told what to do because <laughs> you've always been this independent, fierce person. It all does matter. When I think about kids growing up in broken families worse than mine, my heart breaks because at least I had women, I had my mom and my grandmother teaching me a positive to take from it. And unless someone gets a hold of these kids that are growing up in these families worse than mine, these these families in the streets, in the high crime neighborhoods, in all of those places, unless someone gets a hold of them and can speak life into them, kind of like the boys and girls clubs in the cities in the United States, or like mentors or teachers, whatever it is, these kids are going to grow up broken. 
And that cycle of brokenness just continues. So what about for you? Where's the brokenness for you and have you healed it? Because if you want to have a healthy family of your own in the future, and maybe you're in it right now, and maybe you're at my phase where your kids are older and you've already had to face some of this stuff and deal with it, you already know. But maybe your children are younger and you're starting to think about, how do I want to raise these kids? What do I want my family to look like? What dynamic do I want? What positives from my childhood do I want to take away and and breathe into my family? And what things don't I want at all? And do I want to do different? Do I do what I want to turn on my heel and do a 180 of that? Because that didn't work for me. That caused a lot of issues with me. What is it for you? One of the positives for me that I took away was family first. We were a mess. My family was a mess, but in all the dysfunctional, broken mess that we were, if somebody needed something, my sister, me, whoever, you dropped everything, you dropped your disagreements, you dropped your grudges, and you stood up and you took care of that person. You went, you you had their back. Now that's kind of a European thing, definitely the Italian influence of our family growing up, but you have each other's back. I had that. And I, I have breathed that into my family, into my kids. My marriage, if you've listened to this for any length of time to my podcast, you know that I had some issues where I hit pause on my marriage. I moved out and we went into counseling and all of that. But no matter what, my kids through that whole thing have seen we're here for each other. No matter what, family first, we're here for each other. Now, I don't have extreme like... You know, there's a time where there has to be tough love. I have a very good friend whose son got addicted to meth and she had to put her foot down. He was stealing. He was in, he was 30 and he was stealing from, you know, his brother. He was stealing from his grandmother because he was an addict and you can only do so much. And there's a point where you can't be there for them anymore. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general, if you have, you know, any kind of dysfunction or brokenness, you can still be there for each other. That's something family I brought from my upbringing into my family that was a positive. Um, One thing that I don't want in my family that I didn't want was alcohol. And for a very long time, there was never one drop of alcohol in my home because alcoholism affected my parents' marriage in a very, very bad way. So my kids grew up never seeing me have a glass of wine, never seeing their dad have a beer, nothing, zero. We had dinner parties with 20 to 30 people, no alcohol, nothing. Now, was that extreme? Absolutely extreme. And when they were in high school, maybe a little bit before that, maybe when they were toward the end of middle school, we started incorporating having wine at the table. It was done in a responsible way. They didn't grow up with it, but I didn't want them to go into high school and have that experience of, I've never seen this before and turn into that kid. (laughs) But I had to find a way to manage what my upbringing was, my family experience in a way that was comfortable for me. And I didn't want anything to ugly to come from that. So I had that rule and it worked okay. They don't abuse alcohol right now, so I think it's fine. We don't have that addiction in the family. I kind of broke that chain of addiction. And sometimes that's what you have to look at. Look at. Do you have any kind of generational thing that you could break that you don't want in your family anymore? You get to choose that. 
It's not easy, but you do get to choose that. My newest one, generationally, that I'm breaking is women finding their worth, their self-worth, and their size. Generationally, in my family, women were told to look a certain way. They were encouraged to be a certain weight. They were, it was always stressed, like how you look matters. It was a reflection back on the family. My goodness, you couldn't be fat. That makes me look bad as a mom. Well, I am putting my foot down to that now, and I'm actually out there coaching women how to disconnect their self-worth from their size because I was so ingrained to believe that my value came from my size, my sense of self-worth, that I was overboard in it, and my daughter developed an eating disorder. And through her treatment and recovery, I learned, huh, that's a mother wound. It's generational, and a grandmother wound, and a great-grandmother wound. It went all the way back. That wasn't on purpose. When we're talking about ourselves in our in a negative way, which we shouldn't be doing, by the way, but when we do it, we're not doing it on purpose to think we want our kids to grow up with our own insecurities, right? You don't think about it, but they do. They pick it up. So that's a generational addiction to negative self-talk and negative belief, really, because we have to believe that our self-worth is wrapped up in our size. I'm putting a foot down to it. That was something I carried with me from my family. I learned the hard way with my daughter's eating disorder. What do you have? What is it? Do you have something that you had to break and overcome? Did you put your foot down and create a whole new healthy generation of a family? Or are you struggling with some things that you haven't dealt with yet? Are you having trouble trusting? You know, maybe you have some father wounds or mother wounds that you haven't dealt with. That's important to really recognize if you want to have a fun, healthy family, because family can be fun. Once you are at a healthy, secure place and you've done all the work and you've done all the healing, you can look at the wackadoos in your family that don't live with you and, and laugh at it. Because you don't hold it anymore as if it's a a projection on who you are, right? (laughs) You can actually look at it and go, yep, that's them. That's how they are. And, you know, that's not my problem, not my kid or whatever you want to say to, to, you know, feel better. But you can't get there until you're healthy in your own skin. You're healthy in your, you've healed all those wounds. So let me just talk about some facts. If you have not had a family yet, this is really interesting. I know a lot of girls in their 20s who don't want kids. Really interesting to me. I don't know what that's going to mean for the United States. But if you are someone who has children, there are benefits of growing up in a healthy family. And this is what they are. All This is across the board. Another review of the literature, by the way. Basics, but I'm going to just highlight them so you can kind of hear. These are the benefits. Basic needs are met. Food, shelter, clean water. And that's really important for minors and elderly, right? Crack babies born in a crack house are not in a family. Those babies have to be removed and put in a safe place to get those things. If they're born into a family that's already healthy, they get their basic needs met. Benefit of a family, a healthy family, allows you to belong to something. Now, I don't know if you're aware of the hierarchy of needs, 
But years and years and years ago, this man named Abraham or Abram, I can't remember which one it is, Maslow, he created the hierarchy of needs. And if you've never heard about it, I'm going to share it with you because when you're building or creating your own family or running your own family as the matriarch, I want you to think about this in your mind, the hierarchy of needs. It's a pyramid. So think of it as a triangle. At the base of the pyramid, the most important part is your basic needs, food and shelter. So food, shelter, clean water. That's the base. The next level is security and safety. That is kind of like what I said about my family, where we have each other's backs. Security and safety, where a mother is going to protect a child from harm, that type of thing. The next one, the tippy top of the pyramid, is love and belonging. Any child that doesn't have a sense of belonging and love in their family is going to find it somewhere else. That's why you have gangs that start. That's why a wayward kid might feel like they're not being heard and seen and they're going to go find acceptance in a group that has practices in things that you don't approve of. So it's really important to realize that a healthy family is going to hear these children. And if it's something you can't relate to with your kid, oh my gosh, I cannot emphasize enough, go to counseling together. Because in order for your child to to feel healthy and heard, maybe you need an unbiased third person, third party to listen and help you communicate more. Because you don't want them going out finding acceptance somewhere else with wayward behavior. Another thing families provide healthy families provide financial security. Now that might not seem true, but in a healthy home, we're talking about everybody's pitching in. You you have incomes that are paying for things. So financial security is more than definitely broken families. That's what we're comparing it to. A built-in support system. We want there to be support, want them to be heard, each other to be heard. And here's a really important one, health benefits. Research shows that people who live with kids live longer. Some people out there that don't want kids are like, heck no, not me. I'm going to live, I'm going to be, if I have to be around my nieces and nephews anymore, it takes five years off my life. I get it. I get it. You're not used to being around kids. But this is, especially for the elderly, if you bring young people around them, it benefits their life, benefits their health. They live longer. Community benefits. If you have healthy families and you would see this in some communities that have two-parent homes. Some of the nicer communities that are in your area that have strong family values, the community benefits. Why? Because the family that's raising children is usually teaching them to contribute to the community by either volunteering or the parents contributing financially. Like It can be supplying backpacks and the kids can be seeing that or it can be volunteering their time and the kids are seeing that. The community benefits from a healthy family Because a healthy family gives back to a community. Now back to you. What did you grow up with in your community? Did you grow up in a community where a family unit was strong? And you came away with a strong foundation of that. Did you grow up in a community that maybe wasn't so great? How are you going to fix it? How are you going to fix it? Have you? Have you found the help you need to feel like you can move forward in a healthy way because there are benefits. If you're going to have a a family, you know, no rules. There's no rules to having kids and there's no instruction on how to be married and have kids. 
It is learn as you go, make a lot of mistakes, pray that your kids don't end up in counseling. (laughs) But I'm not against counseling at all. I just hope that I don't cause any more trauma to my kids. So I'm hoping that just by listening to this today, this is an F word that is very deep maybe beyond my scope if I took it any farther, but I am cognizant of the fact that my upbringing shaped me as a woman. Your upbringing shaped you as a woman. Those early moments of what love were supposed to be shaped your attachment style. Those relationships with mother and father shaped your trust in men and women. And family around you, kids that your kids are growing up with don't all have the same experiences and awareness is key. So if we can be really aware of ourselves so that we can make our own immediate circle healthy and strong, then we can look out and realize, okay, some of these other behaviors I'm seeing out in the world, their family may not have been so great. I had someone very, very close to me betray me, hurt me deeply that came out of the foster care system. And I don't know that I want to use that as an excuse, but I'll tell you what, that person didn't have a mother figure she trusted. And I kind of took her under my wing and she came back and it bit me. And I don't have relationship with this person right now, but I can look at it and go, wow, you know, this is their deal how people treat you as a reflection of what's going on inside of them. So if you are aware of yourself and you can take care of yourself, that's all you can do. We can't control what other people are behaving, how how they're behaving around you and toward you, but you can have an awareness around it. And really thinking about the family structure and how a family structure supports and, and brings a human into the world as an adult will help you understand how they relate to you. And I believe it is our responsibility as women, if we're having children, to raise respectful children, respectful of other adults, respectful of other beliefs, respectful to be able to listen and not be combative. I think it's our responsibility to raise those children, to teach them to operate out of compassion and love and understanding that not everyone had someone to teach the person that's listening to them in the same way, and also raise people that are going to contribute to society, contribute in a healthy, positive way. That's our role as women. And that's what makes women powerful. We are what makes the world go round because without us, children aren't born. Without us, there is no family. And so it is on our shoulders to be aware of all these things I brought up today, to make sure that we are healthy and whole. And that if we choose To bring more humans into this earth, we're going to do it in a way that is going to make the earth a better place. That's my message for you today. If you listen to this episode and you're estranged from your family or you have no family, you kind of feel like a lone ranger, I want to encourage you to look at it from a different way. Build your family. And I don't mean go out and get married and have kids until you're whole. Do that if you want to. I mean, you get to go choose people as friends to become your family, become your support. If you come from a dysfunctional family, you don't get to choose that. You're stuck with it and you have to learn how to live with it. If you're in that that lonely place of no family, start to build it. Just make it your own. 
I hope this was helpful for you today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you get notified next time an episode is released and share this with a friend if they're getting ready to have a family so that they can think about all these things. And until next time, have a fierce, fun, feminine, and fabulous day.